Welcome to The Word Encounter, episode 265. Uh, Today we'll be picking things up in the book of Revelation, chapter 14. Let's get started. It says, The Lamb and the 144,000. Remember, there were uh, 12 tribes of Israel, uh, 12,000 from each tribe, and they formed the 144,000. And it says here in verse 1, Then I looked, and there was, uh, there was a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. They sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders, but no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from earth. In verse 4 it says... These are the ones who have not defiled themselves with women since they remained virgins. And so women here is kind of a reference to the world. So these are the ones who have not defiled themselves with the world since they remained pure. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. Uh, They were redeemed from humanity as first fruits for God and the lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. So we see here that the 144,000 Jews, again, 12,000 from each tribe, uh, they were blameless. They were uh, righteous. Uh, They were not defiled by the world. The proclamation of three angels in verse 6, it says, Then I saw another angel flying high overhead with the eternal gospel to announce to the inhabitants of the earth. And so he says he saw an angel flying over the whole earth, announcing to the whole earth. You see... (laughs) To every nation, tribe, language, and people, he spoke with a loud voice. And what did he say? He said, fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship the one who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. And so can you see this? Can you picture that? You know how we have airplanes fly over, and they may have a banner behind them. This says, uh, this says angels were flying over, an angel was flying over, and his voice had to be booming. had to be loud enough for the people on ground to be able to hear him. And he's proclaiming the day of the Lord. Then it says um, in verse 8, And another, a second angel, followed, saying, It has fallen. Babylon the Great has fallen. Uh, She made all the nations drink the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. And so here, uh, Babylon is a is a metaphor for the uh, the the wicked and worldly systems of the world, the institutions of the world. And so Babylon is used in this context in, in, in order to identify those evil and wicked institutions that exist in the world. It says in verse 9, And another, a third angel, followed them uh, and spoke with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is poured full strength into the cup of his anger. Ooh. And so (laughs) it says, If anyone worships the beast, and its image and receives a mark on the forehead on it. If, if anyone allows themselves to be marked as one of the number of the beast, if, we, if anyone allows oneself to join the beast and his clan, then John's vision foretold that they will drink the wine of God's wrath, which is poured in full strength, in full, his full wrath is pulled in full strength, from the cup of his anger. Man, 
He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the Lamb. And so they will be on display. Their burning, their suffering will be on display before the holy angels and before Jesus. In verse 11, And the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or anyone who receives the mark of its name. I don't know about you, but when uh, the day has beat me down, and that happens more frequently than I'd like to admit, as I'm going through the drudgery of that day, just trying to get through, my mind goes to the evening when I can rest, when I can regain my strength, when hopefully I can regain my focus, regain my hope, regain uh, everything involving optimism. Because as I look forward to the evening, what I'm looking forward to is rest. This word here says, there is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or anyone who receives the mark of its name. There's no rest. There's no respite. There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to hide. It will just be suffering with no hope of the suffering stopping. <clears throat> Verse 12 says, This calls for endurance from the saints who keep God's commands and their faith in Jesus. And so this being what? Refusing the mark of the beast. Refusing to join his ranks. The word says this calls for endurance from the, uh, from the saints. In other words, don't get worn out. Don't, don't get to a point where you just want to give up. Stay in the fight. Then it says in verse 13, Then I heard the voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so they will rest from their labors since, the works, since their works will follow them. So this is in contrast to those who allow themselves to get marked by the beast, to those who join their ranks. It says, blessed are those uh, uh, who are dead or who die in the Lord from now on. And so it says, you know, there, there are going to be ones who passed in this time frame. And he says, blessed are those who refuse to join the ranks, you know, of Satan. And it says, <clears throat> Um, they will rest from their labors since their works will follow them, since their good works will follow them. So even though one has died, see, God is keeping track of your good works if it's motivated by the right thing. You know, he's keeping track of that. Why? So he can appropriately reward you. See, we don't, we, again, I can't stress enough, we don't work our way into salvation. We don't earn salvation. But we do earn the reward that we get. See, in the salvation, everybody is granted eternal life. But after eternal life, there's a kingdom to rule and reign over in eternal life. And we will be granted rewards based on our works. <clears throat> Reaping the earth's harvest in verse 14. It says, then I looked and there was um, and there was a white cloud and one like the son of man was seated on the cloud with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Another angel came out of the temple, crying out in a loud voice to the one who was sit, uh, seated on the cloud. Use your sickle and reap for the time to reap has come since the harvest of the earth is ripe. 
So the one seated on the cloud swung the sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. So the harvest was granted, was, was, was uh, I should say, the harvest was gathered by Jesus. Jesus takes his sickle, he harvests the earth, and, 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 and his harvest is gathered. But let's keep going. It says, verse 17, Then another angel who also had a, a sharp sickle came out of the temple in heaven. Um, verse 18, Yet another angel who had authority over fire came from the altar, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Use your sharp, sharp sickle and gather the cluster of grapes from the vineyard of the earth. <clears throat> and so he's, he's calling out to the other angel. This isn't Jesus. This is another angel you know, who's, who this other angel is calling out to. And he's telling that angel, use your sickle and gather the cluster of grapes uh, from the vineyard of the earth because its grapes have ripened. But this has a different meaning. In verse 19, so the angel swung his sickle at the earth and gathered the grapes from the vineyard of the earth and he threw them into the great wine press of God's wrath. And so this harvest of the grapes, if you will, by this other angel, the grapes were thrown into the great wine press of God's wrath. It says in verse 20, then the press was trampled outside the city and blood flowed out from the press up to the horse's bridles for about 180 miles. And so it's about roughly five feet from the ground to the bridle of a horse. And it says here, then the press was trampled outside the city and blood flowed out from the press up to the horse's bridles for about 180 miles. And so we're going, I don't know how wide we're talking, but 180 miles, five feet worth of depth of blood. <laughs> now, you know, is that, is this metaphor? You know, is this symbolism? You know, I don't know, but Obviously, you know, those who were left. So Jesus had the first harvest and gathered his people. And then the people that were left, the angel comes along and the angel swings his sickle and has his harvest. But those grapes get thrown into the wine press, the wine press of God's wrath. And then it gets pressed down and all the juice, i.e. the blood, starts to pour out. In chapter 15, preparation for the bowl, uh, for the bowl judgments. First one, then I saw another great and awe-inspiring sign in the heaven, seven, uh, seven angels with seven last plagues. For with them, God's wrath will be completed. And so we have here <clears throat> seven angels with the seven last plagues. It's called the, you know, God's bold judgments, and this is going to complete his judgment of the earth. Let's drop down here to chapter, excuse me, to verse five. It says, after this, I looked and the heavenly temple, the tabernacle of testimony was open. It says out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues dressed in pure bright linen with golden sashes wrapped around their chests. One of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. It says in verse eight, then the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Relatively short chapter there, but we get a picture here of what's about to happen. And so in chapter 16, it starts out with the first bowl. 
And it says here, then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go out and pour the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first went and poured out his bowl on the earth and severely uh, and severely painful sores. Yeah. And severely painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshiped its image. The second bowl in verse three, it says the second bowl poured out uh, the second, excuse me, the second poured out his bowl into the sea. It turned to blood like that of the dead, uh, like that of a dead person and all life in the sea died. The third bowl, verse four, the third poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water uh, and they became blood. And it says, I heard the angel of the water say, you are just the holy one who is and who was because you have passed judgment on these things because they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets. You have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. So the angel, the angel, this is the angel of the waters. Uh, after uh, the water was turned to blood, the angel of the waters confirms God's righteousness because they deserved it. Why? Because they killed his people. They killed his saints. They killed his prophets. And this angel says they deserve it. <clears throat> the fourth bowl in verse eight, he says the fourth uh, poured out his bowl on the sun. It was allowed to scorch the people with fire. That sounds pretty hot. And people were scorched by the intense heat. So they blasphemed the name of God. So this is their response. The people were scorched with intense heat. So they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues and they did not repent and give him glory. What does this imply? This implies that they knew these things were coming from God. See, it says, so they blaspheme the name of God. Why would you blaspheme the name of God if you weren't blaming him for what was happening? So they knew this was coming from God. It also implies that even at this late stage in the game, they still had the opportunity to repent because it says, so they blaspheme the name of God who has the power over these plagues and they did not repent and give him glory. So why would the word say that if they didn't have the opportunity to repent? So apparently, even at this late stage in the game, they have the opportunity to repent, but they chose not to. They instead chose to, to, to swear at God and blaspheme God and blame, and blame God. And he has the power to, to get them out of this, but they didn't do it. The fifth bowl, verse 10, the fifth poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues because of their pain. Think of that, how much pain they had to be in to start biting and chewing at your tongue. People gnawed their tongues because of the pain and blasphemed God in the heaven and uh, blasphemed the God of heaven because their plans and their, excuse me, because of their pains and their sores. But they did not repent of their works. So again, this implies they had the opportunity to repent and turn, but they chose not to. The sixth bowl. This is in uh, verse 12. The six uh, poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River and its waters were dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And so the Euphrates River was a natural barrier between the, the kingdoms of the east, Babylon, Assyria, Persia and, and Israel. And so it was a natural barrier. And so it says in the sixth bowl, what happened here 
is that uh, it was poured out such that the river was dried up. Why? So that these foreign kingdoms could come in unencumbered into the land. See, so that they can send, if you will, invading forces unencumbered because the water was dried up. And then it says in verse 13, then I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming from the dragon's mouth, from the beast's mouth, and from the mouth of a false prophet. So this is the unholy trinity, right? The dragon's mouth, Satan, from the beast's mouth, which is the beast of the sea, and then from the mouth of the, uh, of the prophet, of the false prophet, which is the beast of the land. And it says here, so then I saw three unclean uh, spirits like frogs coming from the unholy trinity, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who travel to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle on the great day uh, of God, the almighty. And so the Euphrates is dried up so that the armies from the east can join the kingdoms and the kings from the rest of the world to come in to fight, you know, Israel basically in the battle of the great day of the Lord. See, so God is setting this whole thing up for this ultimate showdown. Then it says in verse 16, so they assembled the kings at the place called Hebrew Armageddon. The seventh bowl, verse 17, it says, then the seventh poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. That sounds a little ominous. <laughs> in verse 18, there were flashes of lightning, rumblings and pearls of thunder or excuse me, and peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake occurred like no other since people have been on the earth. So we have here, you know, <laughs> uh, seismic activity going on in the earth. Flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, severe earthquake, unlike anything ever seen in the history of man on earth. So great, great was the quake. Then it says in verse 19, the great city uh, split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered in the Lord's presence. And so the great city being Babylon, again, Babylon representing a worldly institutions that are opposed to God. And so that's, that's the metaphor for Babylon. That's what it represents. The great city Babylon, in other words, the world institutions that are opposed to God split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the Great, the worldly institutions opposed to God, was remembered in God's presence. He gave her, he gave the worldly institutions opposed to me, he gave her the cup filled with the wine of his fierce anger. He gave the worldly institutions that are opposed to him the cup, not a cup, the cup, filled with the wine of his fierce anger. It says in verse 20, every island fled and the mountains disappeared. Enormous hailstones, each weighing about 100 pounds, fell from the sky on people and they blasphemed God for the plague of hail because that plague was extremely severe. So we see that, you know, throughout as we have gone through the word and all of the evil things that have happened to the believers of God, 
All those things that were performed by the evil and by the wicked, those who mock God, God did not forget. He did not forget. And he is having them take an account for their behavior and their actions. And that should be a warning to us all. With that, we are done for the day. Uh, we'll pick it up in Revelation chapter 17 tomorrow. And then uh, we will actually come to finish the Bible, the whole Bible, in two more episodes. We'll do another episode after that, summarizing uh, the New Testament. And so, whatever you do, never forget the invitation that Jesus is sending out to people all across the face of the earth. The word says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says that you will be saved. See, because it says that one believes with the heart and that results in righteousness, but one confesses with the mouth and that results in salvation. These are promises from God. These are promises. The word says that God watches over his word to perform it. So if he says it, then it is incumbent upon him to follow it through. And this is what he says. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, says you'll be saved. You will have access to eternal life. Stay safe. Be blessed. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And should he grace us with another day of life, we'll see you tomorrow for the next episode of The Word Encounter. Bye-bye.